morning. Why don't you take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. That's where uh, we're going to look in the Word this morning. So, <clears throat> I appreciate the opportunity to be able to be here and to share uh, from God's Word, and uh, I look forward to what God has to say to us. Let's pray for the speaker. Lord Jesus, we pray for your anointing. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just... Tune up our ears, Lord, that we might hear what you have to say, Lord, and block out everything else, and Lord, just help us to focus in on what you have for each and every one of us this, this morning, and I thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Boy. All right, fulfilling your ministry. Fulfilling your ministry is the name of the uh, today's message, and it comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4. You know, we've been living through the election times, and uh, we've been in very uncertain times during that time, and even after that now, we live in an uncertain world. We're not sure what's going to be happening in this world, but we do know one thing. God remains the same. No matter what, God remains the same, and He wants us to fulfill our ministry. Law one of the spiritual four spiritual laws tells us that God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe God has a plan for your life? He does. He has a plan, and he wants you to fulfill it completely. We need to live our lives authentically. We need to glorify God. We need to love God, love people, and change the world. That's the purpose that we have been given by God. And uh, Paul was in a prison, his last imprisonment before he died. And he, as he was sitting there in this deep, dank prison, he started thinking about some people. One of them in particular was Timothy. He had left him behind in Ephesus to build up the church, and, and he thought, I need to give Timothy some special words before I leave, before I die. I want Timothy to know something special. And that's what the book of 2 Timothy is all about. He's leaving a legacy to Timothy. He's telling him what he needs to know to finish well. I mean, I think that's one of the things we're all looking forward to, that we finish well, that we get to heaven and Jesus looks at, uh, and enters, you know, welcomes us into heaven and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen. That's what we're looking forward to. And even here on earth, we're looking forward to fulfilling our mission, to finishing well, to do the things that we're doing and to come to an end of it and finish it well. I'm looking forward to retiring in about two years. I'm looking forward to finishing well. Things are changing edu in education, and I want to do the best job that I can until 2019, and then I'll just say goodbye. No. But um, <clears throat> I'll probably still keep t uh, subbing after that. But I want to finish well. No matter what I'm doing, I want to do the best job that I can. And that's what uh, Paul was telling Timothy. You need to fulfill your ministry. And in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he gives him his solemn charge, his commission, as, you, as it will, uh, for him to finish well. These are the important things. He, he said all these other things in, in the beginning of the letter, and now he's come to the end of the letter, and he's, he's saying, 
these things are important. I want you to hear them. And I want you not just to hear them, but I want you to do them. And so let's take it uh, from chapter 4 of 2 Timothy and let's read that together. <clears throat> I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Re be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Those are the last words that Paul leaves to Timothy. That's his solemn charge, his great commission, if you will. Just as Jesus left us the great commission in Matthew, uh, Paul is leaving Timothy this commission, his charge to him. And he, he grounds that commission. The reason that it's important, uh, there are four realities that, that make this, this commission, this charge important. One, the presence of God. God says he's going to be with us and he'll never forsake us. Amen? He's always with us no matter where we go. And in light of that presence of God in our lives, Paul is telling Timothy, he's charging him, he's telling him these things are important. And <clears throat> so the second thing he says is that in the reality of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, one day Jesus was coming back again He's going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to be saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Or he's going to say, go over there where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's coming a judgment time. And Jesus Christ, that's an important thing. We need to realize that there is judgment for the people of God, for the world. That's all coming. That's a reality that he bases his commission on. And he says, one of these days... Jesus will come. This may be the day. Amen? Wouldn't that be great? This may be the day that Jesus comes again and takes us to be with him for eternity. This may be the day. And in light of the fact that any day may be the day, he leaves that charge with him. And he also says the absolute truth of his kingdom, the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus ushered in the kingdom we are citizens of heaven. We're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of another world, aren't we? And that's the world we should be thinking of. That's the world that we should be thinking about when we decide what we're going to do with our lives here, how we're going to fulfill our ministry. We need to have that in mind. And so Paul leaves this solemn charge with Timothy, and he says, you know, you need to do these things that I'm going to tell you. There's nine imperatives that we're going to be looking at later today. But also, Paul was ready to die. If you look on in verse 6 through 8, he's ready to die. He says this, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. That crown is waiting for us too. We need to push forward to that. Paul was pushing forward to it. Timothy is urged and charged, commissioned to push forward to that. And we are urged to do that too. We need to move forward to what God has for us in store. <clears throat> what is our commission? You know, you go back to Matthew 28 and we're to go and make disciples of all men, teaching them about Jesus, bringing them the good news. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live our lives, to fulfill our, our ministry. We're supposed to walk the way Jesus would have us walk. John Chrysostom said that he's an early church father. Just as a beautiful coat only looks best when it's worn on a body, so the scriptures, though wonderful when proclaimed in public, are far more stupendous when they are lived out by the people who proclaim them. We need to make it so in our own lives. We need to live out what, what Paul is telling Timothy to do. We need to live it out in our lives. Amen? So, the first thing, <clears throat> I, I hit this the last time too. Turn into Jeremiah. I think it's going to be up on the screen too. Jeremiah 6, and it says this. Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. If you need rest for your souls, you need to walk in the old paths. You need to walk in the scriptures. You need to make this a part of your life day in and day out. <coughs> Excuse me. And so in the next few verses, back in chapter 4, Paul is going to tell Timothy exactly what he needs to do. He's going to command him. That's a solemn charge. And, and all of these verbs that we're, we're going to be looking at are all in the imperative tense, which means it's a command. There's no choice, folks. It's something that God has told us to do. We are commanded to do it. Amen? So that's what we're going to look at. And the first thing we're going to do is look at the first five. I'm a preschool teacher. I work with uh, severely handicapped kids in, in wheelchairs, medically fragile. And one of the things in California that's available is called the first five. It's a consortium of, of uh, people and uh, programs that are geared towards the first five years of life. And they give services to uh, special needs children uh, during those first five years of life. They make sure that they have access to medical care, to durable uh, goods, medical goods. They make sure that kids are uh, given preschool, that the, that, that the kids uh, will have books to, to read, the, that um, people will read to them. Um, they, they try and cover all the things that those first five years are critical to the character development and the growth of children. And so first five is that, that whole idea. These are critical things that we need to have and incorporate in our lives 
for us to become everything that God wants us to, to, to do and to fulfill our ministry. So the first thing he does in verse 2 is he gives us those first five imperatives. The first five. And he starts them with preach the word. Preach the word. Now that word for preach means to herald, to proclaim. Back in those days, there was no TV, no internet, no uh, radio, no, no, no way of getting information out other than a man was told all the news of the day and he went walking through the town and his job was to herald and to say, you know, uh, this family is having a wedding. This child was just born. The king has decreed taxes on such and such a date. If you go over here, you can, you know, sign up for the military. You know, and he would go through the town and he would herald the news of the day. That was his job. Day in and day out, he would be preaching, preaching, heralding the good news of the day. And that's what God has called us to do. We're supposed to preach, to herald, to go wherever we can, whatever we're doing, and give the word of God. It's preach the word. So this is, this is the, the content of what we need to do. Um, and today we have all kinds of ways of heralding the word, don't we? Uh, we have inf the internet, we have Twitter and Facebook and, and all kinds of different ways of doing it. My wife gets on Facebook and every night she leaves a, a scripture and a little bit of a, uh, an encouraging word. Her gift is encouragement. And she leaves that on Facebook every night. And then she says, sleep sweet. You know, if you want her, uh, you know, just Mary Beth Myers, you can look her up and friend her. But you, you can get, there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can become a herald of the good news. You just need to think about it. Don't be afraid of the new things that are coming, but find ways to use that new technology to preach the word, to share the word of God to everyone that you come in contact with. And so first thing that, that, that Paul tells Timothy, you know, that's what you need to do. And folks, this isn't just for preachers, okay? Heralding is something everybody needs to do. It's not just something for the guy up here that he should do that. Yes, that is specifically what he said, but there's application for all of us, amen? There are things that God wants you to preach about. <clears throat> the content of our proclamation should only be the word of God. In the beginning of this book, in 2 Timothy, in chapter 2, verse 15, um, Paul told Timothy to be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of God. That's part of our commission too. You need to get into the word, whether it's a Bible study or do your own study. You can't just come to Christ and just cruise through the rest of your life. You've got to get into the word. And, and even just before chapter three or chapter four, in verse 16 of chapter three, he says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 
You know, if you don't know the word of God, you're not even adequate. In order for us to be adequate, we need to know the word of God. And when we're adequate, when we rightly divide the word of truth, then we uh, are fully equipped for every good work. Then we're fully equipped to do, to fulfill our ministry. But the word of God, folks, that's the key. You've got to be in it every day. You've got to be memorizing it. You've got to be using it. You've got to be applying it to every situation. But it starts with that. Amen? Amen. Enough said about that? Okay. I think we all know that's what we need to do. <coughs> the second imperative is that we're always to be ready. In season and out of season. We're always to be ready. And that word for ready is a military term that talks about standing guard, being at your post, ready for the enemy to come and to call the alarm, to pull the alarm and let people know that the enemy is, is breaching the walls. That's a very important idea. We need to be on guard 24-7. What's the penalty for leaving your post in time of war? Death. Death. I mean, if you're in the army and, and you leave your post, you're, you're shot. Because that, you, you a dereliction of duties. And even during not wartime, it's a court-martial offense. Folks, it's important for us to stand guard, to be ready at any time, 24-7, to be able to share the word of God with people that we come in contact with. You, you don't have a break. You know, when we get to heaven, that's break. But until then, we are on guard, always ready, no matter what. <clears throat> At the uh, Texas A&M University football stadium, there's a big sign that says, Home of the Twelfth Man. Each team is allowed 11 players on the field, but the 12th man is the presence of those thousands of people in the stadium. And do you know that they remain standing in the stadium for the whole game? It's, it's a tradition that goes back to 1922 when one of the coaches of the football team told, saw somebody up in the stands and he said, you, I need you, come down. And he suited him up and stood him on the side so he could go into the game. And from that point, everybody stood up, and they were always ready for being called into the game. Do you ever have one of those dreams, you know, when you're at a, a, a game or something? I'm a musician, so I always had, I'd go to the L.A. Phil, and one of the French horn players was missing, and they'd say, you know how to play the French horn. Come up here. you got to fill in. You know, and... God wants us to be ready. Paul is telling Timothy, always be ready for, uh, to be called in. The coach is ready to call you in at any moment. You need to be ready. Amen? And then it says these three things, to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And they're all kind of the, the, the same idea. The, the idea for reprove is to correct something, to, to fix it 
to prove with demonstrative evidence, to convict with truth. We're called to refute error and misconduct with careful biblical argument. Because we know the word so well, we can see sin. We can see it, and we are called to correct it when we see it in somebody's lives. I think a good example of that is in family dynamics is when somebody's addicted to alcohol or some drug or something like that, and the whole family gets together, and they sit them down, and they confront them with their sin to help them, to save them, to bring them back. That's the picture that, that Paul is giving to Timothy, that there are times that we need to reprove people. We need to correct them, call them on their sin. We don't need to let just let everything go by. We need to stand up and be willing to say, no, that's error, that's wrong. In our society today, we've become so tolerant that we're not willing to step up and say, that is sin. And the only way we can know for sure is if we have this in us. That's why he bases it on preaching the word first. But once we've got that in us, then we can stand up and say, no, that is an error. And we need to be willing to stand up, not just for our family, but in every situation. Listen for the call of the Spirit telling you to do that. Listen for him to say, okay, now, Now's the time to reprove. Now's the time to correct. And then to rebuke is to take that uh, reproof, that correction, one step further. And that's to bring that erring person to repentance. You know, like the intervention that I talked about. You, you're, you're not good. It's not good enough just to tell them, hey, you're a sinner. Quit it. We, we need to bring them to repentance. We need to bring them to a point of turning their lives around and changing that behavior and changing that activity. And sometimes that means we need to exhort them. Exhort means to encourage, to come alongside. It's parakaleo. It's, it's like the, the Holy Spirit that comes alongside us and walks with us and lives with us. That's the next step that he's talking about. We correct the error. We bring people to repentance. And then we walk alongside with them so that they change that behavior and become what God wants them to become. That's what Paul wants uh, Timothy to do, and that's what God wants us to do. We need to do that in our families, in our lives, and in the people that come in contact with us. Amen? I think the best example of that is, is a mother, a mother with her, her children. Uh, we spent uh, the, the week in Cayucos and, and had the grandkids there. And, and, uh, and even before that, I see Kelly uh, working with Jonathan and Caitlin. And she does all of those things. When they do wrong, she corrects them. And then she makes sure that they come to repentance, that they ask God to forgive them and, and that they change their behavior and they start to be more loving or whatever it is. And then she comes alongside and she encourages them and loves them and, and lets them know it's okay. We can make mistakes. I think my daughter learned that from her mother when, when she was raising our kids, when she was raising Kelly. And each one of you mothers, 
that have done that with your children, I applaud you. You are fulfilling your ministry. Part of that ministry is, is with your children. And that's a great picture of what Paul is telling Timothy. That's what he needs to do with the church. That's what we need to do with the church. We, we can't just let people get saved and then not come in and be involved in their lives. You know, that's what grace groups is all about, isn't it? Getting involved in their lives, finding out the things that, that they need help and being there to help them, to live life with them. That's part of what Pastor Doug is telling us to do. And that's part of what uh, Paul tells Timothy and us to do as well. We need to live life with one another. Reprove, rebuke, and encourage one another with great patience. You know, sometimes uh, we think, well, just get over it. Just do it, you know. But we need to have great patience. And that, that's what, what Paul tells Timothy too. With great patience and instruction. Goes back to the word of God. We need to do that. The next couple of verses, verses 3 and 4, is, is a prophetic word to Timothy. It's, it's saying this is what the times are going to be like in the, in the end times. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. <clears throat> you know, people are going to fall away from sound doctrine. We talked about uncertain times at the very beginning and, and even before in this chapter, in, in, uh, in this book, in, in chapter 3, he talks about what the world is going to be like. If you look back at uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, it gives another picture of what our world is like. When you look out in the world today, Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, though they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Paul's already told Timothy about what the world is going to be like. And, and as I look out on our world today, I think I see a lot of it. That we're living in those end times. That we're living in, in times when we can see that true in our society. People are like that. But not only people in our society, people within the church are getting to be that way too. They're, they're, they're turning away from the truth. Um, they are uh, not <clears throat> enduring sound doctrine. And that word is uh, the word for tolerate. You know, again, I, I think I said earlier about toleration. You know, sometimes we can be tolerant of the wrong thing. We need to be tolerant. That's, that's a good thing. But we shouldn't be tolerant of sin. We shouldn't be tolerant of evil. We shouldn't be tolerant of those things that chapter 3 was talking about. 
we need to be intolerant of those things. We, we need to, to do that. There are people within the church that have become too tolerant of those evil things. And they've allowed them to come into the church. There's heresy. Pastor Doug has talked about that. And will continue to talk about that. There, there are things that are false that are going out in the world. You know, how do you overcome those false teachings? Well, you need to know the truth even better. Um, <clears throat> the uh, people who work with money, the, the way that you can tell a counterfeit from a real bill is not that you check out all the false ones all the time, but you look at the real and you are so familiar with what the real is that when the false comes, you can tell right away that it's not God. And, and that's the way it is with the truth of God. We need to be so involved with the word of God in our lives that we can tell the falseness. We can tell those, uh, the wrong doctrines. You know, the more faithfully we proclaim God's word, the more faithless some people in the church would prove themselves to be. I want you to look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 30 and 31. This is nothing new. You know, people moving away from sound doctrine. This has happened all throughout the history of Israel. And in Jeremiah, he told the Israelites that the prophets prophesied falsely. The priests rule on their own authority and that the people loved it. You know, there's a lot of, of, of big church things that are false doctrine. People love it. People are being drawn to it over and over. And if you don't know the truth, you're going to be sucked into it just as well. Ezekiel 33, 31 through 32 says this. There it is. They come to you as people come and sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth and their heart goes after their gain. Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not practice them. We need to do what the word of God says. We need to put it into action. And then finally, um, <clears throat> it talks about uh, how they will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Uh, that, that turn aside to myths is talking about, um, it's a medical term that has to do with a dislocated shoulder or joint. That, that they have become dislocated in their spiritual understanding. The world is filled with those kinds of churches and places. We need to be aware of that. Pastor Doug has talked about that many times. Uh, it goes back again. We need to be uh, so steeped in the word that we can tell false doctrine when it comes up. The message translates this passage. You're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but they will fill up on spiritual junk food catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. Be careful. Be careful. And so uh, Paul leaves that prophetic word to Timothy, and I leave that to us. God leaves it to us. Be careful. 
There's a lot of false teaching out there. There's heresy out there. Be aware of it. Be ready for it. And now, the final four. You guys know what the final four is, right? Yeah, yeah basketball and college basketball. It goes through all these tiers and stuff like that. And then at the end of the month, there's the final four. The best of the best. And they come, it finally comes to the champion of the college basketball. <coughs> these are the final four that, that Paul has for Timothy. These are the best of the best. These are the things that he wants to leave with him. Um, and the first thing it begins with is being sober, free of intoxicants, not addicted. We live in a world that is uh, filled with addiction, filled with all kinds, not just alcohol and drugs, but sexual addictions, addictions of, of pleasure, addictions of games, addictions to <coughs> little screens, addictions to all kinds of things. <coughs> And Paul is telling him, be free of those addictions. Be sober. It means to be level-headed, balanced, and in control of your faculties. The NIV translated, it, keep your head in all situations. To be vigilant, wakeful, and considerate frame of mind, taking good heed to what is proceeding around and pursuing its course with calm and steady we need to be sober. We need to be level-headed. We need to be uh, clear and calm. We don't need to get too far gone one way or the other. We don't need to have anything under control except God's control in our life and the Holy Spirit. And then it says, endure hardships. Anybody suffering? Anybody going through tough times? He says, endure it. Endure it. To suffer both externally and internally. And uh, Paul has, has been through it all. He's been through suffering. And just to give you kind of a picture, look back on 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And you'll see a list of some of the sufferings that Paul has gone through. Chapter 11, verse 23 through 28. <clears throat> Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if I'm insane. More so, in far more labor, I more so, in far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, Dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So both externally and internally, Paul looks back and says, hey, you think you've got hardships. Look at what I've gone through. And he starts out, am I crazy for even saying these things? But, but look at what I've gone through. 
And I think some of us could say the same things about our lives. Look at what I've gone through. I can't believe I made it. I can't believe I got all the way through this. But God says, endure those hardships. Endure those hardships so that you can fulfill your ministry. And, and not only the outward things, but the internal things. Paul was burdened down by his concern for the whole church, every church that he'd ever started, every person that he'd left throughout his journey that started a church, it, it, it bore down on him. And he was concerned about their well-being and their health and, and whether they were living for Christ and, and what they were doing to spread the gospel. Those internal concerns. And even each one of us have internal concerns for you know, finances, for health, for uh, what our kids are going to do, what, what our parents are going to do. Uh, you know, all of those internal things, you know, am I doing the right thing at work? Am I, am I pleasing my boss? And you know, all those thoughts that go through our minds that, that, that kind of weigh us down. And at the end of the day, we're not sure, you know, if we can even make it through. Paul says, endure all those hardships. Endure them. Because they are coming. And you know they have. But Paul says, endure them. <clears throat> and then he says, uh, do the work of an evangelist. Not the office of evangelist. You know, there are some that are, that are called that, that bring people to Christ. You know, Billy Graham and, you know, um, what's the guy in Riverside? Um, What's that? Greg Glory, yeah. You know, th those guys are evangelists. You know, they go out and they got the tents and they bring thousands of people to Christ. Uh, but each and every one of us has been given that great commission in Matthew 28, you know, to go into all the world and to, 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 to make disciples and to teach them uh, everything and to, to have them do everything that I have told them. Um, we, our basic work is to help unbelievers <coughs> become aware of their sinfulness and lost condition and to proclaim Jesus Christ as the only Savior and Lord. Evangelism is critical to everything we do. We need to share the good news with everyone we come to. Evangelism in a, in a nutshell is this. One beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. That's what evangelism is. We've been blessed. We found bread. We found the bread of life in Jesus Christ. And now we need to share with others how they can find that bread too. One beggar sharing with another beggar and telling him where they found Jesus. That's evangelism. And then finally, he says, fulfill your ministry. It's the consummation of Paul's charge. Those nine imperatives all add up and lead up to this last one. Fulfill your ministry. We are to complete the unique ministry that God has called in each and every one of us to. God has, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Each one of you is unique. Each one of you may be the only Bible that someone ever comes in contact with. You may be the only Jesus that somebody sees. God has created you with a purpose. God wants you to fulfill that purpose. God wants you to be everything that you can be. Doing those nine imperatives will 
help you to be the person that God has called you to be. Amen? I want to conclude with a story that I heard from uh, Riverside City Mission puts out a flyer every month about uh, their activities in Riverside uh, feeding the hungry. And this story was, was in this month's. A little boy wanted to meet God. He knew it was a long trip to where God lived. So he packed his suitcase with Twinkies and a six-pack of root beer. And he started his journey. When he had gone about three blocks, he met a long-haired, bearded biker sitting on his motorcycle. He was in the park just relaxing amongst nature and staring at some gulls. The boy sat down next to the biker and he opened his suitcase. He was a little hungry, so he took a Twinkie and he offered a Twinkie to the biker. The biker accepted it and warmly smiled at the boy. His smile was so pretty and his eyes gleamed so warmly that the boy wished to see his smile again. So he offered him a root beer. Again, the friendly man smiled nicely at the boy. The boy was delighted. The two of them sat there all afternoon, munching on Twinkies and drinking root beer. <clears throat> I got lost, sorry. And smiling happily, but they never exchanged a word. As it began to get dark, the boy realized how tired he was, and he got up to leave. But before he had gone more than a few steps, he turned around ran back to the biker, the bearded man, and gave him a big hug. The biker gave the boy his biggest, warmest smile ever as the boy ran off to his home. When the boy opened the door to his house, a short time later, his mother was surprised at the look of joy on his face. What did you do today that made you so happy, she asked. He replied, I had lunch with God. But before his mother could respond, he added, and you know what? He's got the coolest motorcycle that I have ever seen. His mom just stood there with her mouth wide open. Meanwhile, the lonely bearded biker, radiant with joy, returned to his home. His wife was so awestruck by the look of peace on his face that she asked, hey, what did you do that made you so happy? He replied, I ate Twinkies in the park with God. And before his wife could say anything else, he added, you know what? God is much younger than I expected. <laughs> How often do we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of those have the potential to turn a life around. People come into our lives for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. Let us make the most of every opportunity we're given to proclaim the word of God to everyone we meet. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. And let's take a moment to pray. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, uh, for telling us, Lord, that we need to fulfill our ministry. 
to be the Jesus to whoever we come into contact with, Lord. Help us to be like that little boy who saw God in all those things around him, Father. Thank you, Lord, for giving us opportunity after opportunity to fulfill our ministry, Lord, to do the work of an evangelist, to preach the word, Lord, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, Lord, with great patience and teaching. Help us to get into the word, Lord, to study and to, to know it, Lord, so that we won't fall for error, Lord. Be with us as we go to our homes, Father. Bless us for the remainder of this day and throughout our week, Father. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, don't forget, before you go, guys, especially the young guys, I want you to stay so that...